0: But The Outward Faith series we've been in, uh, through the weeks we've been working uh, through this idea of extending your faith beyond just yourself, but to those around you, the relationships you build, uh, whether it's another Christian or or a non-Christian, that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would be at the center of all of your relationships, and that your faith now becomes a pouring out into other people. And uh, we've been working through this sheet, if you haven't seen it yet, Uh, It's this who is my neighbor sheet that's been one really low-hanging fruit uh, kind of item when it comes to working your faith outward is the people who are living right around you. Uh, This is uh, if something you haven't done, I encourage you to do. Where the eight closest homes, can you list the names of your neighbors, uh, list something pretty general about them, and then list something very specific about them. And it's just a useful tool in building relationships to ultimately, at one one point, you pray, you have the opportunity to share your faith with them, to share the gospel with them. And that's our subject for today, is sharing your faith out of Luke 5, we'll be reading. But just this topic of sharing your faith, for some of you might be making your palms kind of clammy, giving you the cold sweats, it's just this nerve-wracking thing at times to even think about. And it terrifies a lot of people to share your faith, but often it's because we just simply overthink it. And we trust too much in ourselves and our own abilities and not enough in the Lord. And that's what we're going to get into today when we read this calling of the first disciples as detailed in the Gospel of Luke. That there's this amazing fishing story that Jesus, in his own way, uses as an example to the disciples to show how they would be sharing their faith with others one day. But those of you who know me, uh, know that I love fishing, know that this is a hobby of mine and and of Mandy's. It's it's such a blessing to have that in common with one another. It's rivaled maybe only by cycling, but a story like this just gets me excited that we're about to read today, because fishing has always been a big part of my life, uh, even from uh, a young child, and it's something that Mandy and I often do together. Uh, This is an example of maybe a happy place for Mandy, and I, Uh, we love to fly fish, especially, and it takes you to these beautiful places, and here's Mandy about to catch a fish, and uh, Mandy often does catch bigger fish than me, Uh, beautiful beautiful fish and a beautiful lady there. Uh, So you have these stories of great success that you love to reminisce on. You have other stories where it's just nice to be out there, right? (laughs) And I don't care to admit this to you today, but this is probably more the norm than not. Uh, and it's, it's something that we're now investing into Mason as well. Uh, and, you know, we've probably fished much, much less than we've liked to over the last three years. But maybe someday we'll fish uh, more than we'd like to because we have uh, someone that wants to go all the time. But we love fishing so much that this last winter when we had this polar vortex that went on forever and everyone's freezing and going to Florida for their vacations in February, uh, Mandy and I went north. Uh, We went up to a frozen lake uh, just without... Being able to see anyone. This is where we were at the end of the polar vortex, enjoying things like this. And we, we both love these quiet uh, spots. We're both introverted by nature. This is what we uh, this is what we resonate with. And this fish fishing trip was so successful. We were even catching fish overnight, uh, to the point we weren't sleeping. Uh, this is at three in the morning. Three in the morning. We both thought we were smiling. Until the next morning, <laughs> we looked at the picture and was like, wow, that's fun for the wall, isn't it? I think, I think the fish had a bigger smile than us than in that picture. But, but, I mean, the point this morning is not to talk about us and our, our fishing, but this is something that those of you who love fishing love a good fishing story. And we're about to read uh, what, what started as a fishing story that everyone would love to forget. Because the truth be told, you saw some of the highlights for us. There's many fishing experiences where it just didn't work for us. So it started out this way for these disciples, and then it turned into a fishing story that was so amazing and miraculous that we're still talking about it 2,000 years later. And Jesus is an opportune teacher So he uses this moment that he largely manufactured. He knew it was going to happen. And there's valuable lessons that we're going to pull out of uh, this this fishing story and how it relates to sharing our faith with others. So if you're not already open there, uh, now open up to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read the first 11 verses together. But let's just pray uh, before we read read the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just your trust in us, the call for each of us individually and collectively, that you've given us this amazing opportunity to share our faith, to share your gospel with others. And it's it's humbling, uh, many times it's scary, uh, but God, it's all possible, and it's the way it's been working for thousands of years, it's the way you're going to continue to work in us, so give us just a trust and, and a faith in you and an obedience that leads to these kinds of results, and that we always remember, Lord, it's not what we do for you, it's what you do in us. So today, this, this morning, just speak to us as we uh, read this scripture and this important topic of sharing our faith, that we go out with a boldness and a confidence today. We pray this now through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's read together. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, left everything and followed him. And we understand this text that it's, it's something greater than just a fishing story. And it, it's the kind of thing that gets me excited to think about an experience like that. But again, God often teaches through these examples in our lives. He uses these scenarios. And, and Jesus was using this, as I said, uh, as a way to teach them about what they would do As disciples, as they shared their faith and they evangelized, they made more disciples. And there's some very valuable lessons that we pull from this text. Now the first is this, that we need to stay obedient to the leading of God. When Jesus gave them this instruction to go out in deep water, there's some immediate reluctance and resistance. Ultimately, Simon, kind of the de facto leader of this group, Peter, uh, he said, okay, we'll do what you say. And it led to these results that we're still talking about millennia later. And Jesus called these fishermen to go out into the deeper water. Again, Jesus came, he taught out of the boat. This was early in the morning after these fishermen had been trying all night to catch fish, and they had come up empty. But he said, you know what, why don't you try going out into the deep water and try again and let down your nets for a catch? And I think this deep water that he called these fishermen to in many ways represents the scary or illogical places that God might call us to go, the places we're reluctant to go that might feel unsafe or burdensome. And it's common fishing convention or conventional wisdom in in fishing that in low light periods, early morning or late at night, the fish often come up into the shallow water where there's Bait fish and the weeds and all of that. So going out in deep water would have gone against any bit of wisdom They had and and you see this answer from Peter saying we've worked hard All night in other words, we've tried everything we threw everything at the tackle bo- in the tackle box at them We haven't caught anything But I guess if you say so we'll try it. What do we have to lose? There's certainly some reluctance built into this obedience, but he's obedient nonetheless. And I think this really illustrates not a disobedience from Simon, Peter, and the fishermen, but rather this this admittance that what you're telling us doesn't make any sense. But we're going to do it anyway. We're going to trust you. There's still obedience in that. Not only did it go against the conventional wisdom, but also in a big lake like, this is the Sea of Galilee, they call it the Lake of Gennesaret here. It's the same body of water. But in a big body of water like that, the further you get out from shore, the more at risk you're going to be of a wind change and a weather change. And it gets dangerous when you go out there. It goes against your own personal safety and comfort. And it's also something that is going to take a, a considerable amount of energy to get out to deep water. That means they had to paddle there, all right? And they're going to have to paddle back. And so now there's this effort that they already see as fruitless that they're going to have to put into it. but they. They went anyway. But what's important here is to look at the confidence of Jesus in his statement. It wasn't, why don't you give this a shot and see what happens. But rather, he speaks very factually. Go out into this deep water, let down your nets, and you'll have a catch. I think it's a reminder for us when God calls us into our own deep water, when it comes to sharing your faith, it might be across the street or across the world. In any way, it's not going to make sense. It's going to be scary. It's going to go against our own, uh, bit, uh, our own concept of, of, of safety and comfort, but, but we go trusting the Lord. We rest in his promises. We know that he wouldn't lead us astray, that he has a good and perfect divine will, that when he says something, we need to believe him and we need to be obedient. And here we see this common goal of catching fish between these fishermen and Jesus. These fishermen already have their minds made up of what makes sense to them. Jesus... Uh, puts them in a different direction. But they went, even with this, quote, certainty that it would fail. And I think we have to have that same attitude when we're called to these places. No matter how much we understand something, we should not lean on that understanding. But trust first in God's will. Trust Jesus. That's the first step of faith and of sharing your faith is that you trust Him, you believe Him, and you follow Him. You have that hope and that confidence in Him. I think going into the deeper water, going out, is an important part of sharing our faith. And we look at something beautiful like the church. We have this this great congregation, this great building where we can gather here week after week. And we think that if we just have all of the right things going on in here, that people will come and see Jesus. There's a big difference between come and see and go and tell. We think we have the right team, we have the right leaders, the right ministries, the right facilities and plans and processes and vision. Everything's lining up and all we have to do is just open up the doors and people will flood in. Well, it's kind of like saying I could set up a, an aquarium at home with really nice Uh, decorations and and perfect pH balance in in the water and everything is set up well, I just have to open up the lid and the fish will swim in. That's not the way the church works. The church has always worked by being obedient to the leading of Christ to go out into the deep water and to cast your nets. In other words, the most obvious statement ever is you have to go fishing where the fish are. And Jesus will lead you to that, even when it doesn't make sense to you. Be obedient to his leading. Go to the deep water and cast your nets. Something else happened in this story that's kind of easy to miss if you don't understand how fishing works. These fishermen had already given up. And we read earlier in this text that they were washing their nets, And what that means is basically they're preparing them for storage. They're washing off all the dirt from the bottom of the boat or the seaweed and the algae and whatever. They're washing them to put them away. And so Jesus says, nope, take those right back out, go out into the deep water, and cast them down for a catch. They had their minds set on failure. And when you're sharing your faith, I think you can't resign yourself to failure before you start, but rather... When you trust in the Lord's leading, you need to prepare yourself for success. And that's exactly what we see here, that when they had done what the Lord had led them to do, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. They had immense success, even, even beyond their own doubts. And anyone who's gone fishing knows that fishing does not mean catching. And there's going to be those moments you feel like you're doing everything right, but it's not working. Sometimes there's things working you don't understand. We cannot resign our minds to failure. Another interesting part about this that's really more on in the, in the side of speculation, but I think is probably true, uh, they were probably using a net, the largest net in the boat, which you think means that they had trust in this, but actually means they had less trust in what was happening. And and fishermen of this time, even until today, when you're fishing with a net, you often have multiples in your boat, okay, just to have spares, but also different sizes. And so when fishing is really good, you use your smallest net. It doesn't seem to make sense, but that means the fish are tighter together, that you're gonna have a high degree of success, and you want something that you can cast out and back multiple times, where it's easy to throw and mend and gather. But the term cast a wider net actually comes from the fishing world. To cast your widest net means you've been failing and you need to try something different to cover more ground. So these fishermen, who probably had no trust in what was happening, cast their largest net as as, as an exercise of doubt, of I'll try this anyway. And Jesus is kind of like, I'll show you. And now this large net is filled with so many, they can't even handle it themselves. That there's so many fish that it's nearly bursting the net. They need to call help and it's almost sinking the boat. And how many times do we go into something like evangelism, sharing our faith with the same attitude? If I've tried everything with this person, they've heard it a million times, I can't share Jesus any different way, they're just lost. What's the point of trying anymore? And we go in with that defeatist attitude. But we know with, with evangelizing, sharing our faith, there are so many different ways that people come to Christ, and oftentimes it is through repeated attempts. Sometimes it happens on the first try. But you hear stories of, of a spouse who's praying for, for, their, others, for their spouse for 50-plus for years and sharing Jesus many different ways, and then finally... It clicks. We don't know when it will work, but we need to be prepared that for as long as we're obedient, it can work. and The Lord can have victory in that. I think that's what we need to be clear about in this story, is that this is not the fisherman's victory. Okay? They already gave up. This is the Lord's victory. And this really showcases the sovereignty of God in these things. That when someone comes to Jesus, it's not you. It's the Lord who did it. It's simply our obedience that leads to success. One other cool part of this is when you look at the word that's used here by the author Luke, a large number of fish is also uh, translated as a multitude. This is a Greek word that's only found one time in the Gospel of Luke, right here, multitude. A parallel word in our language is like a bajillion, okay? Multitude really means that it's beyond count, beyond comprehension how many fish were in there. Now, the same author, Luke, uses this word multitude in the book of Acts over a dozen times, always to describe one specific thing. A multitude of believers who these same disciples who became the apostles shared their faith, and now there's multitudes of people coming into the church that's so crazy they can't even comprehend how quickly the church is growing, It's such a cool detail that shows when Jesus tells them, if you follow me, you'll be a fisher of men. Luke is kind of saying that word multitude? Yeah, it worked. It worked. They obeyed God's leading. They knew they'd be successful. And it worked. The church grew quickly. In fact, it grew so quickly that these disciples didn't know what to do. And so we see in the book of Acts that they had to find help. They found help with all these growing believers so they could be freed up to continue to preach and teach the Word of God and catch more, quote, fish for the church. And that's the third lesson we see detailed even in this story, is that we need to seek partnership with others when we share our faith. As soon as this this haul of fish came in, they immediately signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help. And they filled both of their boats with the fish, so full that, be, that they began to sink. This is so much like the early church with these same disciples. It demonstrates for us our partnership as believers in this whole evangelism thing. When we are making disciples, if you go at it alone, you're going to be very unsuccessful. But when we partner with each other, we see great success, and it becomes manageable. And these boats so well represent the church the capital C church, the big church. We might be in different vessels, like the local churches, but when we're working together, I think things become possible. But what's, what's terrible about our modern understanding of the church is that our local congregations often start competing with each other. And we view this as this, like a zero-sum gain of, like, if you get those fish, then I don't get those fish, so stay out of my waters, or even people in the same boat, people in the same church, are now competing with each other about things. There has to be a partnership when it comes to evangelism and sharing the faith and growing the church. And something cool that's been happening over the last couple years is that as area pastors, we've been committed to that. Many of us are meeting regularly and talking about how we can bring our church bodies together for a greater partnership and unity of the gospel. And I think a picture like this helps to represent what's happening. This this is from this summer. Uh, There's eight of us in this picture representing seven churches. This is not all of us who are meeting. But we had just finished talking about how do we do things together? How do we bring unity into our churches? And this is across several different denominations, but all with the same gospel at the center of what we do. And we've been... Having things like these community prayer moments on Thursday mornings where we alternate between churches, and it's a great way to just connect with other believers and to just hear their hearts through the expression of prayer. We have a community worship night coming up on November 7th. It'll be 6 30, and it'll be over in Rockford at Riverwood Church. Pastor Keith, the guy at the White Goatee, is the pastor there. But All of us pastors are going to be there as well helping to lead this service, and it's going to be a great time of worship and fellowship with one another. But these things are so important, and it's detailed in this this very example that Jesus used to teach his disciples is work together in this. Call for help. Don't worry who's in what boat. You're all fishing for the same fish. And as a body, a greater body of Christ, a lot of amazing things are going to happen when we partnership with other believers. But even in this own church and, and the other believers you see around you, we all come with different gifts and skills, and, and, and that's where we have to work with one another. Of, uh, Can you be praying for me? Can we be encouraging one another? Maybe you're working with a neighbor who lost a spouse who doesn't know Jesus. And if you haven't lost a spouse, it's hard for you to really give them any kind of advice, but there's people in our church who have lost a spouse. Maybe we make those connections and work together through different life circumstances. But everyone comes together using their various gifts for the same purpose, to catch fish. However you share your faith, don't do it alone. Do it in partnership with others. And the fourth and final lesson from the scripture today, I think, is, is probably the most important through all of this, that we need to revere Christ in our hearts right and then we go without fear knowing that Jesus is lord and when this miraculous catch had happened immediately simon peter falls to his knees and he says to jesus go away from me for i am a sinful man all the other disciples felt the soon to be disciples felt the same way but jesus said don't be afraid Follow me, and from now on, you will fish for men. You will fish for people. See, it's in this very moment that we see Peter going from someone who's curious about Jesus to really becoming a disciple of Jesus. He had no faith to share before this moment. And until you have that moment before Jesus of knowing exactly who he is, holy, exactly who you are, a sinner. There is no faith to share. But especially as you're sharing this faith, you need to keep remembering that dynamic, who Jesus is and who you are. Because so quickly we can overcomplicate sharing your faith. We're going to talk about that more in a second, but we always make it about us, our. Our intellect, our arguments, our level of faith, our process and our method and how we're going to for sure win them over to Jesus by the seven-step lockstep lock plan we've created. It doesn't work that way. Jesus works through you. Jesus works in you. And you share Jesus with people. Knowing that we are so unworthy, as Jesus says, as, as Peter says here to Jesus. As Steph had said, these are fishermen that Jesus is calling to be his disciples and build the church. These are the most simple people out there. That's who we are. We're simple. We're unworthy, and certainly, we are unequipped by ourselves to share the faith. But Jesus works in us and through us, and that's why we don't have to be afraid. It's not about us. It's about Christ. We can live in that constant reassurance and trust in Jesus that when we go where he calls us, when we're obedient to him, it's not going to lead towards failure. It's not going to lead toward harm. But ultimately, God's good and perfect and sovereign will will win. I see really three valuable takeaways as we conclude the message today about sharing your faith. And the first is this. Don't overthink it. We make it so complicated. You know, just as an exercise, I went to Google and I typed in types of evangelism. And there were 1,940,000 results. Books, articles, people with lists, and there's everything from very generic to very specific. Hundreds upon hundreds of types of evangelism. It's street or open-air evangelism, on the street corners or over the radio, door-to-door, you know, kind of knocking, preaching, that's what I'm doing right now, friendship evangelism, workplace evangelism, child evangelism. On the other side, geriatric evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, permission evangelism. You name it, it's listed as a type of evangelism. And it's good because I do think there's a lot of value in understanding your approach, your method, your style, what you share, what you don't share, when you share. All of that is really important. And what this really showcases is that for every slice and stage of life, there is an opportunity to share Jesus. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, it's probably right now. There's a way to share Jesus in every every style and place of life. But we overthink it because we were, we're more worried about the method than we are the message. You know what hasn't changed since this amazing fishing story and these disciples building the church? The gospel. How we share the gospel could change, but the gospel message, the word of God, has not changed. And we so much overthink this. I see it in the real world, too. Uh, in, in a real-life fishing example, you know, fly-fishing uh, is a very complicated sport. And it's one that you are typically very unsuccessful at for a while until it becomes successful. But it's something we often overthink. And I remember one time on the river, I saw this guy decked out in all the finest gear. And, and he goes up to the river, and he's turning over rocks to see what kind of insects are underneath and what's hatching. He's probably a you know, pocketbook entomologist who knows all the Latin names of these bugs and whatnot. He's taking temperature of the water, he's carefully sorting through his fly box to find the perfect size of what he's finding, and he changes his mind. And 15, 20, 30 minutes, I don't know how long it's taking to get ready to fish. And down the river is this kid with a paw patrol pole, a bobber and a worm, who immediately just haphazardly walks up and splashes his worm in the water and immediately catches a fish. Right? It's the same fish. And I think we, we, we have our, our faith, sharing our faith in the same way. We're so worried about the approach and the method and the style and we overthink it that we never actually fish. Sharing Jesus is not exceptionally hard. I understand it can be scary. But it's simply telling people about Jesus. What has Jesus done in your life? What has he done for you? What is your testimony? Share it. Share the gospel. The very simple gospel of we are sinners. Everyone sinned. You don't apologize for it. It's it's just a fact. But Jesus died for your sin. He raised from the grave. And he gives you new and eternal life through faith. That's it. How you share it with people is going to change. But the truth in the gospel never changes. Don't overthink it. Second part is don't, or fo- always follow God's promptings. Always follow God's promptings. And what this means is basically be prepared to be interrupted in your life. All of these perfect plans you've made and the certainties you have of how you're going to win this whole town to Christ, uh, be prepared to go into the place you weren't expecting to go, into the deep water. And the men in that boat could have easily stayed where they were, on shore washing their nets, giving up, admitting defeat. And maybe they never would have became disciples. But they obeyed. They followed. They went to the deep water. They saw the miraculous catch, and they knew that Jesus was Lord. And I'm so thankful that they did. Because they did, they made more disciples, and those disciples made more disciples, and so on and so forth through the millennia. We're sitting here today because they said yes. And they followed God's promptings. And you following God's promptings is going to continue the church. That's how it's always worked. That's how it's going to continue to work until Jesus comes again. It's scary to do, but when you do it, amazing things happen. And you never know how important it may be to share your faith with other people. For them, it could spell out the difference of heaven and hell. I think that's the last thing we focus on today. Is that we we have to focus on what's most eternally important. In verse 11 of what we read here, these disciples, now disciples, come back to shore. They parked their boats. They let down their nets. They left everything behind and they followed Jesus. This is their whole life, their whole livelihood. And they left it behind because they knew what was most eternally important important. I think it's the same thing in our lives is is know what is the difference between heaven and hell. Focus on those things. Have that eternal perspective. We all have our stuff, our day-to-days, our jobs, our hobbies and whatever it may be. But I've noticed that those are the kind of things we're very quick to evangelize to people. Our interests, our favorites, our opinions, there's a good chance as you fill out that sheet that your neighbors might know a lot about you they might know uh, what kind of job you have they might know your political affiliation you may be talking with them about your favorite sports team and trying to win them over I've heard people even try to win people over to their favorite brand of ketchup very enthusiastically those things are, are great but the question I asked uh, a few weeks back is, do they know what you think about Jesus? And that's what's eternally important is what people think about Jesus. And there's a story I just heard about this, this lady who had a running partner for a number of years that they would always go together. They'd run every day and they had these conversations. She'd often kind of broached the subject of faith but was too timid to, to go into it until one day she finally had the courage to invite her running partner to the Easter service at her church. And so she came, and she heard the gospel. And in the service, she kind of whispered loudly, is this true? She's like, yeah. She's like, why didn't anyone ever tell me this before? This is great news. And I hear this example. She was scared to do it all these years. She's been wanting to hear it. When you share the gospel, it is good news, And more often than not, people are being glad that you shared it. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll be insulted. Sometimes they'll feel like you are combative against them and their their styles and choices of life. We don't know how it could work. But here's the last question I'm going to ask you that I I asked a couple weeks ago again. I think it's important. If you're not sharing your faith because of what people might think of you, It's not eternally important. What matters more to you? What people think of you or what they think of Jesus? What they think of you has temporary impact, okay? They might think you're weird. You know what? That's not going to matter for eternity. They might disown you. That's not going to matter either. But what they think about Jesus has eternal importance for them. And are you doing what you can to follow the promptings of God, to be obedient to Him, to go with faith and without fear and to have trust that His callings are part of His good and perfect will? That's part of your eternal perspective. Don't overthink it. Be obedient. Go and tell. You share the good news and you pray that God will bring the multitudes to Him just like He did In this day, because we know that with Him all things are possible. Trust in Him, obey Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for again just this message of encouragement, and even for these soon-to-be disciples who wrestled with doubt. They wrestled uh, with just uh, working things out that that seems scary or illogical. We we go through the same things every every day. But even in a flawed obedience, there can be great victory for you. And so, God, I, I pray that we can be obedient to you, to, to be mindful that it's not about us and what we can do for you, but what but, but you can do in us and, and through us. God, it's, it's exciting. So give us just a boldness and a confidence and an excitement to share our faith, knowing that this could be part of a moment that rewrites eternity for someone And God, that it all be for you, for your kingdom, and for your glory. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.